You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? It is Thursday, May the 12th, 2022. You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 104. My name is Marvin Yu, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American, Just Ju. What up, Marvin? Fresh from her vacation to New Orleans, how was your, I, how was your trip? I am so... I haven't eaten a vegetable in like a week. <laughs> It's gonna be a little bit. Uh, it's gonna be a little salad time right now. You didn't um, have any okra or like. Well, uh, it was deep fried. I think that negates any. <laughs> that counts. That pop- counts. No, deep fried vegetables don't vegetable. count. There was nothing green. There was uh, nothing green. Everything was brown or beige, Marvin, or red. You know, what's weird is like I experienced that when I was in Japan. Like very really? few. Yeah, unless I was at like the vegetarian places um, that were specifically. But yeah, I had a lot of like. Less, but you know. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. There's usually like a side salad or like some pickles at this. No, on the side, though, no, right? no, Marvin. I'm talking no, about Japan, is, not New Orleans. Yeah. Oh, I was like, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the salad. Even even in Japan, it wasn't enough. Like mm. I was craving a salad too, like greens when I got back. Anyway, so yes, yeah. New Orleans is harder because it's like there's only so much like stewed in jambalaya like type of stuff that you can <laughs> eat. That's like it doesn't taste like a vegetable. I will say there was. I mean, I did gorge myself on like very specialty foods, like things I think you can't like you can get them elsewhere, but it's not like. In Nola, in Louisiana, so the gumbo had the yeah. absolute best gumbo of my life. Soft shell crab is in season. Crawfish is in season. Holy shit, it tastes different down oh, that's there. That's right. It's it's, you, it's in season. Oh, if you're ever lucky it. enough, just go down, go eat some crawfish. They're all Viet owned, by the way, Han. I'm sure you. Oh, I that. know. Well, that's why I usually go home for the summer because I can eat crawfish with my family. Um, it's so, so good. Mm-hmm, it tastes mm-hmm. different. Like it's good. I, I I swear. Like I don't think I have this theory. Like the really good regional stuff never makes it out because they're eaten local. So like mm-hmm. I think even if we get crawfish, fresh crawfish here, um, like live crawfish that you cook yourself, like it's it, the quality's not the same. And then anything, any honestly, anytime you're else you're eating crawfish, it's frozen. It comes from frozen, and you lose some of that like. Yeah, flavor. Yeah. So, like, yeah, just bear the humidity, bear the heat. Go down, eat mm-hmm. some crawfish, get some gumbo. Like, there's no, there's absolutely no, uh, like, equivalent to gumbo out here in California. Like, it just, it's just different. It tastes so good. And did I, you guys and, go oh to my God, the so Versailles good. neighborhood in New Orleans East? I did not. I've seen the documentary. No, I was there for a good time, Marvin. (laughs) And to go to Jazz Fest and not be sad about environmental racism. Mm. So I was going to say, that's the Vietnamese enclave. So if you wanted like the good stuff, that's where you go. Yeah. I too far. (laughs) Yeah. I never ventured further than like, well, the obvious places, I guess, when I was in New Orleans. And now I feel like I would definitely be able to visit totally different places there was always a place where my friends and i we drove like on a non-jazz fest weekend yeah yeah Yeah. and we always got like the gator you know (laughs) at one place and uh i miss it and i love gumbo Mm. that voice of course is our other co-host um actual professional culture editor han win hey hey han (laughs) so funny story about gumbo is i missed it so much was in LA, I took a tour to try to find the best gumbo and I made a list. So I think I wrote it up for one of those food places I used to write for. <laughs> um, they have okay gumbos around here. It's just not the same. Mm. It's not the same. Oh, no. And you also have to drive far for each of them. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But Han, you got bangs. Yeah. <laughs> bangs. You can, as you can tell on the podcast. I was going yes. to ask because <laughs> it's a little dark on your video. So I was like, I don't want to ask if she's got a haircut, if she's just having a bad hair day. Yeah, no. So, uh, well, it's also not styled. So I could see why it would seem like a bad hair day. Um, yeah, this weekend, I finally got tired of it. After, what, two and a half years of pandemic, I finally got a haircut. Wow. Uh, my hair was so long, it was I was tucking it into my pants accidentally. Oh, no. Um, into What's my the... fanny pack. No, it wasn't no. in the bathroom, at least. Um, and, and just, it was getting caught everywhere in my food. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it, like, looked great from the back. 
you know, like a mermaid, but like it was just a pain in my ass. I was using so much shampoo. So finally, like I didn't go anywhere special. I just went to Supercuts because I was just like, cut it all off. Uh, got bangs, got layers, cut off at least a foot of hair. Um, and my neck feels stronger now. Yeah, very economical. I have a, um, a $12 place around the street. That's an Asian place that I go to for my haircuts. You know, my mom, uh, she, they, you know, they always know the cheaper places in Houston. <laughs> so, but my mom doesn't even, she even gets a bigger discount because she has short hair. So she gets the men's haircut. Um, yeah. Great. It's like, yep. it's so cheap. It's so great. Uh. <laughs> we built different. You don't want to know how much my hair costs. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Here's the thing. Just for a regular cut for me is usually a few hundred. So Oof. that's the only reason why I'm just like, and if I ever add like, color on top of that i'm just like forget it so this time i was like i went economical and then later when i have to actually look good i guess then maybe i'll do something i mean i've had like a 50 dollar haircut before in taiwan so i know what it feels like to have a nice haircut it's just yeah it's wasted on me sometimes so i'm just like you know what just give me the cheap i figure i'll I'll pretty it up maybe right before press tour (laughs) so (laughs) that's what i'm saving my money for that's true the first in-person yeah. press tour, right? Yeah, for a long time. I think Oof. it was, what, January 2019 was my last one. Man, remember yeah. then. Remember those days before. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, I can barely remember it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyways, welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club. It is our first, I guess, official episode of APA Heritage Month. Um, and to celebrate, we're taking a look at a classic film. It is the 20th anniversary of the 2002 film Bend It Like Beckham. And I am almost ashamed to say that this was my first time watching this film. What? <gasps> what? <laughs> what? I'll have more to say about that later. But uh, yeah, mm. excited to chat about this with you all. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is speaking is through the week. Um, so Jess, tell me about Jazz Fest. Yeah, do you like jazz, Marvin? I do, do you like, like jazz? jazz? <laughs> uh, great. Well, Jazz Fest is way more than jazz. I went to New Orleans for the Jazz Fest, which had been canceled the last two years. So it was like really popping. This is like one of the only festivals where the local community is like very excited. I feel like when Coachella rolls around, everyone in the Coachella Valley pissed. Um <laughs> I'm sure Burning Man pisses off a lot of people. I feel like no one enjoys it when like the big event rolls through. The exception is Jazz Fest because New Orleans is amazing and special and magical. And it's a very like very anti-Coachella, very community driven, local vendors, local food vendors or like from the state. And holy shit, the food is so good. Some of the best food I've had in New Orleans from Jazz Fest. And the music's just everywhere. And it's beautiful. Mm. I kept saying like, it's like Disneyland, but real. You know, like it's so magical. <laughs> the vibes are fantastic. I don't even know half these people, but I went to go see Stevie Nicks. I cried. Mm, She's saying landslide. Nice. Mm. Um, you know, there was a lot of white girls swaying. And then, you know, cool in the gang was there. The uh, put your back up to the wall. Yeah, it's just like, it's like something for the whole family, very wholesome. And then it was. It was a good time. I I mean, food, music, and it was just really hot. And I was just like, I'm a I'm a dry heat kind of gal. I can't even do dry heat. I can't do sun. So you know, definitely mm-hmm. hiding during the day. Oof, um, yeah, festivaling. That place humid. Yeah, festivaling as an older person is very different. I was like, yes. let's go when it's not hot. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry, whoever's playing at like two o'clock, I'm not gonna see you. Like. I'm going to go when it's no longer sweltering so I don't die of heat stroke because I can't handle that anymore. And let me tell you, that that is true freedom. And that is like really living like that. Mm-hmm. That Just that I don't give a fuck anymore. I <laughs> uh, would highly recommend uh, it. You know, it's an annual event rolls around every May. I think like the first two week, like the last weekend of April. First weekend of May, the two weekend thing. They have more than just jazz. They have pop, rock, you know, old school. Like, it's lovely. Just check it out. And very affordable. You can buy day tickets. You don't have to buy the whole weekend. So you can just go when you want. I do want to point out that Jess just um, self proclaim herself as old, even though she is way younger. And I think it's just, <laughs> it's a result of just how much these past few years have just 
physically aged everybody. Yeah, that plus like <laughs> southern humidity from like a West Coast gal who's used to like a dry heat and a nice breeze just killed me. I was like, oh, I can't do this. It's just like, you're just so sweaty all the time. It's like, what do you wear? Like the clothes stick to you or you sweat. It's, just, it's, it's very hard. I mean, you kind of get used to it after a few days, right? No. No. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Houston's worse. Yeah, Houston's pretty awful where it's like you literally, or at least if you're me, you're just running from one air-conditioned car to a building to another <laughs> building. You do, like the people who go outside and run, I don't understand what's wrong with them. Um, because also mosquitoes love me. So like mm. swampiness, <clears throat> the only thing I have to say really great about like humidity is, you know, my skin was dewy. It was <laughs> yes, like- my skin was fantastic, but at, my, yeah, at my, what cost? <laughs> I never had to use lip balm until I came to LA. <laughs> you know, uh, never had chapped lips. Uh, Maybe I just really like showers. So I'm, I was okay with taking like five showers a day. It, you know? it also depends on who you are. Some people <laughs> just have a healthy glow. I sweat. And um, so I was just completely gross all the time. Uh, <laughs> you can only shower so many times yeah. on vacation because you can only pack so much underwear, Marvin. Mm-hmm. Like, I am one of those girls who overpacks underwear. I like three mm-hmm. a day. So if I'm showering five times a day, that's that's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd i probably just be kind of like wearing festival stuff, which is like hair up all the time, you know, <laughs> stuff. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Humidity. Humidity. It's a thing. Not it. Not it. But everything else was popping. All right. Um, speaking of popping, what's popping with you, Han? All right. So I just started this show. Um, it's pro- it's been trending for a little bit, um, even though Netflix had not promoted it at all. Um, it's called Heartstopper. It is a British uh, romantic comedy, I guess you call it, uh, series, and um, mainly about uh, its coming of age. And uh, the main character is a young gay. Uh, schoolboy, so it's basically Twink Heaven, uh, <laughs> who has a crush on his uh, new friend who is a rugby player who he likens to a golden retriever, and he totally is. Um, it's so far very, very sweet. There is another character there who is uh, trans. I haven't like looked into that, but I've, I've only gotten into like the first two episodes, and it's super cute, super sweet. Um, it's kind of filling that hole because, uh, you know, Netflix canceled the babysitter's club. (laughs) Uh, so I kind of just, I needed some sort of like young YA, but not terribly, uh, jaded sort of storylines. And never have I ever is coming back soon, but not soon enough. Mm. Um, so for right now, and also because it's British, it's, I find it very charming, um, and they have some like a little bit of a, a shtick where there's some animation going on every now and then. But yeah, so far it's very cute. And um, I think it's going to get me uh, back into my queer YA reading <laughs> <laughs> soon. So that that's just opening up the door because I'm back on my rom-coms uh, because I'm back at the gym. So um, anyway, I, I recommend it so far. And I am hoping I think a lot of people are hoping that it will get a second season. All right. Uh, what's popping for me is, um, well, I was at the film festival all weekend and I already talked about the films that I watched there last week. So the only other thing I watched this past week was Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, um, which I believe we will be talking more in depth about next week. But I just wanted to give some brief impressions. And um, I have to say, I liked it as a Sam Raimi film. And I think what was really delightful was how Raimi it was. Like if Amma was just dipping its toes into the Raimi, because Raimi <laughs> was the director, Doctor Strange is just bathing in that pool of Raimi because halfway through the film, it literally becomes Evil Dead mm-hmm. Part 4. <laughs> yes. Uh, not to give away too much either, because I'm going to save it for the pod, but I also watched it. And here's the funny thing. I watched it in, in a theater full of friends, and that included their, like, their kids, their kids who were like twenty, right? Yeah. And then, oh, not like, not like seven. Th- yeah, no. And but even these like twenty somethings were just like, why is it so scary? <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, okay, you need to learn who Sam Raimi is. I mean, yeah. Okay, so if if I was to pitch the story to you, it is 
Sam Raimi made a Marvel monster movie, but the monster is just a sad mom, which is a choice. And we will talk about that next week. Yes. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Very Raimi. I actually didn't realize how much I miss Sam Raimi until now. So. I was. I'm just glad that my friend from college made me watch all three Evil Dead movies in one night, so I can recognize when I see a Raimi. Right? Oh, I yeah. I watched all of those movies several times over when I was in college. <laughs> several times. Yeah. I will say, as a Raimi movie, excellent. As a Marvel movie, I didn't like some of what they were doing with the characters that were set up over like the last few years through their TV series. Um, I don't know if this was the best payoff for that. And as a multiverse movie, everything ever all at once did it better. So still and always forever. <laughs> just I like, I like how it's mm-hmm. like we don't you don't need multiverse. We have some at home. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. exactly. I don't want to burn too much of next week's pod. I'm sure we'll go way into kind of just more details. Sorry, Jess, we're gonna make you watch this movie so you can talk about it with us. Ugh, fine. <laughs> um, it's just like multiverse that, multiverse that. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, it was a Marvel movie. Let's just put it that way. It was it was a 2022 Phase Four Marvel movie, and that's pretty much all we need to talk about right now. Um, but before we get to our main topic, Bennett like Beckham, it's time once again to revisit um, the latest season of Top Chef in our podcast, within our podcast, Go Asian. Uh, this was episode, I want to say t- nine or ten, which was the space episode. <laughs> Spoo- not spooky. Not that's so- the wrong. Well, that's wrong genre. Space Sorry. ghost. <laughs> it, was, it was sad times, though, because we did lose one of our Asians. Uh, we lost Jay, the Korean Cajun chef. Um, but overall, I thought it was a really fun episode. And I mean, it's Houston, so you have to have a space challenge, right? Yeah. I, I This is one of those episodes where it's like Top Chef giveth and it taketh away because <laughs> poor Jay. But then, of course, who came out on top was Buddha, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because Buddha, just like Jackson when it came to the Jurassic Park uh, challenge, got the memo. Like, he totally understood the assignment. You you know, you got to take advantage of all the spaciness of the food and the aspects of it, but also have fun with it. And that is something that is harder, you know, like easier said than done, um, because you have to bring all together not only your culinary sort of know-how and, and, uh, and uh, taste, but also somehow combine the aesthetics of it and then you're also thinking about zero gravity food it's just ridiculous so yeah i i was very proud of him but yeah i do love that there were two interpretations for the space challenge one was let's make it as spacey as possible and the other was let's make it as homey as possible because what do astronauts Mm -hmm. miss most when they're up in space yes home yeah and so i think it was yeah i think comfort food and escapist food makes sense but yeah, presentation and taste mattered and texture, of course. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah. Really quickly, I want to talk about the fajita quick fire, which, <laughs> um, you know, fajitas are obviously a staple in like Tex-Mex food. Mm-hmm. And I do love a good fajita. Yes. I my, I like fajitas, but also I realized growing up that I'm too lazy for fajitas <laughs> in, in that I don't like to assemble my own food. Um, it. Because I tend to assemble things as much as possible before I start eating. So then my food gets cold. So um, so I noticed that I'd rather just get fajitas and throw it over rice. <laughs> you know? There's just like an ease of like eating for me. That's just I don't want to think about it after a while. Mm. That's true. Nothing wrong with that. But yeah, <laughs> going back to the space challenge, um, I think we had a pretty... It was a pretty even split, right? Three good, three bad. And the three that were on the bottom were pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, I mean, I got to say that, you know, as Jay was hurting me because, you know, her her uh, bulgogi was like mushy. And I was like, oh, like, no, you don't want mushy yeah. space bulgogi. Right. And so I was like, if anything, just make it stringier, like give it texture. That That's the kind of like the worst thing, unless you're like a baby, you don't want your meat to have like be feel like puree, you know? So Yeah, I mean, this has always been her weakness, though, is challenges with like restrictions right yeah like things she can't do or things she needs to like be aware of i honestly feel like just somehow she overcooked it because there's just no way 
like that was her strategy for space food was to overcook meat. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. And her overcooked meat was, I guess, a bigger problem than um, Damar's overcooked rice which i thought would have got isn't sent that him usually home. like the the downfall of reality yeah. yeah like rice risotto yeah i want I mean, he do... lucked out that someone else did their protein bad which like it's tom hates it when you do the protein because bad her protein was bad which is probably made it gross but i think there were other elements that were not great right um, her barley know. wasn't good either right yeah oh. it was undercooked yeah. so yeah um there's just a lot yeah, and you know the other person at the bottom was was Ashley who had problems with her spices again. Yeah, Ashley yeah. is like someone who I've been gunning for from the beginning. Like, really do well. I'm very curious about the flavors, but she's also been wildly inconsistent. So uh, sometimes she's completely, you know, like confident and brings everything right, but then there are times where she struggles. So I was yeah. like, not happy with that. <laughs> It's interesting that the people on top are, it's Buddha, who is like the most technically uh, mm-hmm. proficient chef. It's Nick, who is the most, I guess, consistent. And he's like the, the most confident in his like the baker. flavors. Yeah. The baker. <laughs> and then. Um, that's a great, that's a, that's a cold ass nickname. <laughs> yeah, like, that's great. That is real good. Yeah. Um, and then Evelyn, the hometown girl who mm-hmm. is hitting her stride, like kind of, you know, at first we were kind of met on her for like always saying, oh, I make Asian food. But I think. I think she's been bringing it the last few episodes. She, she's also been very more specific about like not just Asian, but like specifying the Asian and, and being right. <laughs> and I think that was what irritated me earlier on. But with that other contestant who was just like, just make it Asian. And I'm just like, what kind of Asian? You know, so. Yeah. Well, uh, Jay was eliminated. And then I did take a peek because this was the last last chance kitchen. And I will say she did not make it back. Yeah. Um, This was a wild Last Chance Kitchen too. Like Last Chance Kitchen is like their web show, which is usually like 20 minutes long. It's like one challenge to see who makes it out of the loser's bracket. This particular episode was actually two episodes, a 20 minute challenge and a 30 minute challenge. So the Last Chance Kitchen was the same length as a regular episode. Um, But the good part is guest judge was the true winner of last season of Top Chef, um, Shoda, who -hmm. came back um, to help judge. Um, I was so glad to see him again. What? Um, when do we do we already know who's coming back from Last Chance Kitchen, or do, is there one more competition? We before? do. So this is the <laughs> last Last Chance Kitchen. So the person coming back is Sarah, who I kind of forgot is still there. <sighs> she was. She's limited. the one. <laughs> yeah, I mean she she got eliminated in like challenge three or four, but I guess she had a really good run and like did not lose except to Ashley in the middle. <laughs> Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. (laughs) She's the one I was talking about who just talked about Asian flavors all the time. So, yay. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, kudos to her for making it back. You know, now we have now we have all the colors (laughs) going into the last few episodes. (laughs) No. Um, And next episode seems to be a fun one. Um, Shoda's coming back as guest judge and they're going to Galveston, which is... Is like Yay. the it's like what the the San Diego of Texas apparently I don't know. I get, <laughs> hey, explain that metaphor, please. <laughs> That's it's like the, vaguely boring. It's like the vacation beach boat city, right? It, it's it's basically the if you're gonna go to the beach, then everyone in Houston has gone to Galveston at some point, you know. <laughs> um, but I do have to say, like Galveston pretty gross i didn't know that (laughs) that water and i mean the beach itself i was like i didn't know that water wasn't supposed to be brown Uh, (laughs) right right right. but it was like literally what an hour away so everyone went to galveston from houston Mm. and um you know they have other good entertainment stuff there like moody gardens and like a butterfly um pavilion and all these other things um so but it, they also of course have hurricanes and <laughs> hurricanes that that aren't just hitting houston but the ones that hit galveston are worse um so i remember attending like one of the our many weird field trips was attending like the hurricane museum <laughs> in galveston so that was grim um <laughs> yeah anyway so yeah well, excited that they're um, now they're on the road trip portion of the Top Ship season, so we're closing in onto in the their finale. super comfortable BMW. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. We'll be back again next week to check in once again on how our boy Buddha is doing. Uh, but yeah, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're bending it like Beckham. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Potion by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. All right, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we're taking a look back at the classic Asian-American sports comedy film, um, Bend It Like Beckham. Actually, it's Asian British, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Asian-American. Yes, Asian-British. Asian diaspora. Yes. We... I don't know. Accept it. <laughs> it's a 2002 film um, written and directed by Gurinda Chada, starring Parminder Nagra, um, Kira Knightley, Jonathan Rhys Myers, and um, Archie Punjabi. Ooh, what a cast! My goodness. <laughs> About a British Asian girl who belongs to a Sikh family um, who loves uh, football and is recruited to play on a girls' club um, where she is really awesome, and that clashes with her traditional conservative Punjabi family. Again, I have to admit that this was the first time I've seen this movie, which <laughs> is not even the worst part. The worst part is like up until very recently, I did not even realize this was an Asian film. What? Oh, what? because the title? you thought it was just Kira Knightley? I think because that, that was what the um, marketing oh, led yeah. me to believe. And the thing is, like this film premiered at Sundance the same year as better luck tomorrow. Uh, so I should have been aware of like Asian stuff happening. I just did not know. And it's, I, yeah, um, feel free to, um, feel free to give me shit for that because I shame. do deserve it. <laughs> shame, shame, shame. Um, but man. So what did you think, Marvin? <laughs> yeah. Seeing it 20 years later. I really liked it. I mean, it's a child of immigrant story, um, but it's a really well done one. I feel like if I had watched it back when it came out, I would have been super impressed. Some things don't age as well, but the core story that we all know so well now of a, you know, a diaspora Asian going up against her traditional parents it has been something that's been done a bajillion times in Asian American, Asian diaspora um, films. And it's super impressive that something that was made 20 years ago is probably better than like half the ones that I've seen. I, I definitely had that reaction when I first saw it. I was just like, how is this so good? How am I enjoying it so much? Um, there are definitely some issues with it. But like for me, being an Asian soccer player, I very, very much identified with that aspect of it. It's not my mom. My, my family wasn't against me playing soccer. They didn't say, you know, like say, like, just get married or whatever. But my my family definitely wasn't crazy about me playing soccer. Like they didn't support me. Um and uh, I remember once, like, my mom was, you know, the usual, trying to set me up with some friend's son. And she was saying, yeah, but the only photo I had of you was, like, in your soccer uniform. And I'm just like, what the fuck, mom? Which, to be like, fair, a plus, right? Well, I mean, I didn't look that great in, in middle, whatever, high school or middle school or whatever. But I do agree that we were fit physically. Because you yes. run a lot. That is the genius of Gurunachada, which is let's make a film about the hottest type of sports athlete, soccer players, and let's just have them shirtless all the time. Well, especially with Kira Knightley, and she was kind of young at the time, so I felt a little creepy. Um, she was, I think, 19? 18? 18, 18, 19. 18. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then uh, Parminder was... Uh, 
like 26. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was much older. Yeah, and so they were supposed to be somewhat contemporary. Oh, I was talking about all the dude abs that we saw in the film. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it it is very true. I mean, in general with athletes, like they have good bodies, right? No, no matter what like your type is, they're just going to be fit. Um, so, but not it, baseball players. <laughs> it's Sometimes cool, I yeah. look at the baseball player, I'm like, how? Wow. I mean, in general, I mean, you can also say that about like sumo or whatever, but um, it's just a body type, I guess. Um, but it, it, yeah, I some of the drills kind of brought me back, which was fun. Um, and just the, I don't know, even the uniforms, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be able to keep up with any sort of soccer right now. <laughs> Physically, it'd be like, <laughs> let me just stay in the stands. I'll be a manager. Um, but yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I liked her. And at the time, I remember I really liked Jonathan Reese Myers in a lot of oh things. Oh my God. Yes. He looked good. I mean, yeah. This is where the love affair began before his eyes got too crazy. <laughs> yes. Yes. And like he got a little too crazy. Yeah. I didn't realize that was who he was. I, I didn't look at the cast list till, until later. And I was like, who is this very sharp looking man with all the sharp angles and edges? Yeah, I liked him quite a bit. I seem to remember watching The Governess around the same time. And he was in um, a really weird uh, series called Gormenghast, um, which was creepy and Victorian. Uh, so he kind of hit all of those things for me when, when he was younger. Um, now I kind of, I can give or take, depends on what the movie is or whatever. But. What did we think about? Because that's a central like romance relationship. <sighs> and that was one of the things I kind of felt was a little iffy. I kind of wish they did go. Don't like... know if it <laughs> aged well. Because yeah. how old is he supposed to be? His character supposed to be like in his 20s at least, right? Yeah, and if she is just getting to college, she's probably she's eighteen. To, yeah, just she's turned eighteen. Yeah, and I so I was honestly even watching it, I was just like, I'm just going to ignore the inappropriateness <laughs> of the age, but also the position because he's her coach, and that's inappropriate. Um, yes, but they are both very hot. <laughs> yes, so the sick part of me is like, sure, yes, yeah. I too would be very into my coach. If he looked like Jonathan Reese Myers, and like, um, I haven't watched this movie in a long time. I was like, she's so cute. Parminder mm-hmm. Nagra is mm-hmm. so cute. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, okay. Like, is it weird? Don't think about it. Just yeah, don't think about yeah. It. I I basically had to do that. I had to divorce myself from the film's reality and just be like well both of them are old enough like in real life you know? yeah <laughs> that's just how i kind of played it i was like that's just a weird little fantasy but is and, this yeah. is this creepier like real life knowing that they are probably the, around the same age if not yeah. the same age and but in the characters are supposed to be like 18 and like let's say like let's say even like generously like 23 or yeah. something like that right yeah. versus like you know like a never have I ever situation where she's like 17 and he's like 30 <laughs> in real life. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. That's creepier. Definitely. Never have I ever. I have to then just say, like, I'm glad that they're not showing her like touching him. <laughs> that yeah. Sort of thing. And I think it's, you know, the fact that we're 20 years later um, and there has been multiple scandals of coaching and people in, and like people in power in sports abusing their powers in a sexual yep. way that yeah. kind of colors this a little bit. Like, I, you know, I'm sure at the time it was very hot to have a man appreciate a woman for her competence. Right. Mm-hmm. And not feel threatened by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the... <laughs> Yeah. It was a little iffy when I was I, watching this. And I think that they tried to do a loophole where at some point she was not on the team and then they got together. But then there's like, welcome back to the team right after they kiss or something. I was just, it was one of those things where I was like, come on. Um, I was like, it's the same difference. Uh, and I mean, I am like, you know, forbidden love is hotter. So yeah. I'm just like, sure. Why yeah. Not? Yeah. It wasn't. <laughs> Oh my god! Don't yeah. don't cancel me! Don't cancel me! The 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 power imbalance is basically the part where it's kind of like this. Is, they keep doing this, you know. Like I don't know how many shows have the boss and the the underling fall in love, and I just I'm just tired of that. So again, you know, I had to divorce myself from the storyline and just be like, I like them both. Um, the other storyline, I think that didn't quite age well because at the time I remember it was a big deal but uh, her best friend who is a closeted gay guy um, yeah. who's 
Yeah. So yeah, I think all of the queer subplots don't yeah. work. Yeah, it's, yeah. In today's day and age, right? Like, yeah, not, try, like the mom being so upset about the whole like lesbian, mm-hmm. like Karen Knightley might be a lesbian, and then like also it's just really creepy because like the first, like all the parents seem very obsessed with their daughters being under like male gaze. Yeah, it's really gross, and being like sexualized for men. As yeah. like a positive, and I'm just like, I mean, I know like every mom kind of makes comments like, oh, like don't, you know, don't, mm-hmm. you know, don't cut your hair. Like boys don't like short hair. Like I think every like boomer mom says some version of that shit. Mm-hmm. But you know, she's like, get this inflatable bra so your boobs look bigger. Yeah, like, that's why really, do you that's care, really mom? Creepy. Like, yeah, I I gotta say, like, have we all been tweaked about our, our appearance? Sure, but when it's like actually sexually, you know, oriented, it feels creepy. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I was. I mean, as someone who does not have like even a remotely similar experience to that, like, I was like, okay, like I do get that some parents do treat their daughters that way like daughters are only mm-hmm. valuable yeah. or, or their only role in life is to get that husband i mean it was 2002 so i don't know how different things were back then it still seems pretty backwards but again like you know we're we're overturning where we wait so like what's backwards these days right but like i, I, I mean, did it, it did seem extreme but also it, it did seem like it is based on like the truth of like, how some parents treat their daughters right oh for sure and i also i i do have to say that I feel lucky that despite the little quibbles I have with my mom, she never pushed me in that direction (laughs) because I'm very certain many families do this no matter what. Um, Because I do know of, let's say, one family that it's not necessarily like on a sexual level, but um, the mother is so controlling. She will literally pull food off of her daughter's plate because she thinks she's eaten enough. Um, So I'm like, oh, so glad my mom didn't do that shit. (laughs) But then the aunties put it back on. Well, no, not, not these aunties. No. These aunties also <laughs> not not in, in this, this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, going back to the best friend who, like, okay, on one hand, I was glad that it didn't turn into a love triangle, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, I didn't like that he was conveniently gay. Right, right, know? right. It just made he, he was conveniently gay because a it made him a non entity as far as like not a love triangle, right? But then it also made him like. Uh, complicit with her uh sneaking around and stuff like that so it's kind of like he was the safe you know guy i just uh it annoyed me <laughs> um i'm trying to remember how i felt about it when i i think i'm trying to remember if i covered this or not i mean in 2002 uh, this would have been like a, hmm. a win for representation right like it's oh, totally. just in the context of like how storylines have evolved, right? Like these days, if Grinner Chata was to make a Ben and like Beckham, I don't think the love interest would have been the coach. I mean, the love interest might as well have been um, Jess and Jules, right? Yeah, or it could have been maybe like the equipment manager, you know, someone <laughs> who wasn't like didn't have that power differential. But yeah, Julie and Jules, uh, I mean, Jules and I mean, Jess would have been great. That's the version we all really want, right? <laughs> it was right there. It's like barely covered. I mean, under uh, the surface. But not even that under. <laughs> this is this is where the uh, the new Netflix uh, <laughs> series will come in. I think when I'm talking about my British uh, gay series, it's right there for you. Hello, <laughs> I would love. Honestly, my friend and I were talking about this. I would love an updated Bennett Luck Beckham series because. I think Ted Lasso has dropped the ball, so to speak, when it comes to actual soccer representation. <laughs> um, so I would like an actual good soccer series that puts it like this show, like this movie, even when they're cutting away from faces, because, you know, it's not obviously the actors. Yeah, doing it, it was still more exciting than any Ted Lasso soccer. <laughs> So, I did wish those soccer action shots were a little bit wider so I could like see the action. But yeah, yeah, they weren't wide enough. You can tell, you know. But um, it was still fine. Like yeah, it, for for the time period, I definitely have different needs when it comes to soccer on TV now <laughs> or on screen. Yeah. Um, another thing that I was thinking about while watching this film is, man, twenty years later, and I mean, it's good that most of these actors, young actors, are still working. But like, it is kind of like I. 
kept thinking about how Keira Knightley was front and center of all the marketing and how she is arguably the person who had the biggest career after mm-hmm. this film, even though um, Archie ended up winning an Emmy, right, for The Good Wife? Yeah, The Good Wife and Jonathan Reese myers is no, you know, Right, he's in all those, like, he's, he's like all- King Henry, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, like early yeah. prestige TV. And I mean, Parminder, I guess, is still doing TV stuff. But I was like... But not... To- yeah. Like, if this movie had come out even, like, post-2018, she would be in, like, at least three other three major films right now, right? Yeah. I would have loved her to get, maybe not taking as quite as long, but the sort of Sandra Oh treatment. Like, she literally was the lead of a romantic comedy film. And for her to kind of just join ensembles after that i was just like what um so i and i of course really loved her too because she was short (laughs) so i was like yeah and she's so cute i like her so i was like i just i i feel so sad like if only like let's say mindy kaling had power then you know she she was a baby so no she didn't but like someone if um, someone actually just had the power and the foresight to actually cast her in something good um, I feel like yeah. yeah. I mean, even the director Gurinder Chada it took her another like what eighteen years to get back into Sundance, right? Or I don't know if, what she did in between then. She did a lot of TV. I know that. Um, she. I mean, she. It took a while. I think she did a uh, Bride and Prejudice, which wasn't that great, which but really fun. It was but fun. really fun. It was fine. <laughs> um, and 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 it definitely had a good cast. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it just. I, that was the other thing. It's like they both stayed working, um, but I feel like this was the height. Like everything came together for them um, both here. I just kind of wanted more after that. Yeah. And not to say Keira Knightley didn't work hard neither, but definitely I think it does suck that this ended up becoming like her star vehicle instead of like the casts, right? Yeah. Because when you think about it, it's had three main strong leads because Kira Knightley, Jonathan Reese Myers, and then Parmen Nagra, they all should have had similar, maybe not exact, but similar sort of star rising, but it didn't. Mm. So yeah. I mean we see that time and time and again, right? Mm. Like Better Luck Tomorrow, none of those I mean Sun King, but that took Justin Lin in like yeah. twenty years. Yes. And yeah. then even like, you know, Joy Luck Club, like none of those ladies really got their due either until yeah. now. But now they have to play the moms. Yeah. yeah. You know, it makes sense because something like Ben and like Beckham doing well, the studio execs will look at the performance and it's not surprising Credited that they determine. The yeah. It's obviously because of Kira Knightley, not because yeah. of like the director and the story. that Or was the telling. story or the world or the family. I thought personally, I think the thing that aged the best was the world that she built Mm -hmm. i cannot believe i understood this movie when i was a child because (laughs) i'm sure i missed half of it between the slang the very specific like early Uh oddies like british working class slang (laughs) uh like at one point i think she calls like a bunch of girls a slag i I definitely (laughs) did not know what that was as a child i remember and first reading i was like what's in it (laughs) like in that it's so great. Like all the accents, just the entire, like all the party scenes, the wedding looked super fun. I would love to be at that mm-hmm. wedding. Just like all this, like old aunties, like trying to like be all proper. And then like, you know, people are getting horny in the bathroom. <laughs> just like making out. Love that. Um, Archie Punjabi as her very mean, very high maintenance sister, Pinky. Fucking hilarious. Yeah. So appropriate that her name's Pinky. There's a Pinky. There's always a Pinky. But she's also a good sister, which I really appreciated. Like she wasn't like yeah. Yeah, I think everyone in that family had a really great, a pretty great complex, except except mom. Yeah, I wished a little more for mom. Dad gets some really great moments. Mm -hmm. Even Pinky gets a little, a lot of dimensionality for even as like a crazy, like big character she is. But mom, I don't think mom gets as balanced a take. I something that didn't quite get as much of attention um, and maybe not quite as good in certain ways as as far as groundbreaking, but like the most recent film, India Sweets and Spices, um, I did find a lot to like about it, um, especially showing that world when you're talking about the world building and um, creating these characters that are really interesting. So I would say if 
anyone can watch that now, I think that would scratch the itch a little bit. Um, it's different. It's not quite as funny, but there's definitely some funny parts in there. Um, and it does also have to do with a daughter, you know, di- uh, not just even diaspora, but a diaspora community um, in New Jersey, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, much and, more contemporary yeah. take. Yeah, and- it's very cute. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's like I've been, I feel like I've been waiting for another Bend It Like Beckham. Like, where are all my rom-coms? And and when it comes to films, it seems like a lot of the rom-coms I've been really enjoying that more recently are series, right? So, um, which, again, like, I would love more of that, too. So um, I think that it's just... Maybe in series, they're able to just build out character better. I mean, I know Han is just starred for rom-com. It's more specifically soccer rom-coms, right? Good oh, my God. Can you, can you believe how hot a soccer rom-com like series would be? Um, that sounds exactly like a manga, right? So. <laughs> you can watch the, the only the Bridget slash Blake Lively parts of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants if you want. I've watched that. In fact, I think I covered that film when it first came out because I remember talking to all of those, uh, the cast members, uh, which was okay. Yeah, I, there's just never enough soccer and everything. I'm sorry. So, do you want a rom com or do you want a soccer movie, huh? Let's make you a soccer soccer rom soccer movie. Soccer rom com. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that <laughs> did definitely make me feel old is like I still I was like, oh yeah. David Beckham did used to have a shaved head, didn't he? Yeah, it was it was it was very funny, this sort of like hero worship they had. But it felt very right because, you know, we didn't have a bunch of like Asian people that we looked up to in our given field of interest. So um, I remember even though I didn't play tennis, uh, I watched a ton of tennis because my brothers played tennis. And so definitely I had some favorite tennis players none were asian um until michael chang that was a big deal but even that i was like i don't know if i like him (laughs) (laughs) but you know you almost had to it was like obligatory you kind of had to like michael chang looked too respectable he was someone that your parents wanted you to (laughs) yeah it was kind of boring to me like for me like i had to like a a, like a pale redhead so that was boris becker um michelle kwan baby michelle kwan Mm. all right my hero to this day (laughs) yeah yeah, well, when it comes to other sports, sure. But yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so 20 years later, is Bendit Like Beckham still good pop? I would say yes. It was, I mean, it still is, feels very pivotal to, for me. Um, and it, like, even though I say that maybe Parmanandagra and, and um, Gurinder Chadra maybe didn't ascend to the same level that I think this film did for them, I still remember their names and followed their careers fairly closely because of how strong this was. Um, so despite all of it, I think it also stands very well despite all of its weirdness, like as far as, you know, not dating well. <laughs> yeah, I think ultimately it is. I think it's very important in the history of like Asian diaspora cinema and and specifically like you know in the in the, in english speaking countries cuz so much of this is still relevant and so much of it is a little dated right like i think we are at the point where we want to we want more nuanced portrayals of parents right we want more nuanced conversations about oh they won't accept this and um it's just really interesting so like it's like the theme is still very much relevant uh, it's interesting to see 20 years ago how we were handling it um, and what we get now. Um, so I appreciate it. It's still, and ultimately, it's a really fun watch. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a really fun sports movie. It's a really fun rom com. Everyone is like really attractive in this movie. Uh, and it's, it's, it's fun. So, yes. Yeah. 20 years later, my first time watching it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, like we mentioned, some things didn't age as well, but nothing will ever age perfectly. Like look at any like classic film from the 80s and you can find tons, tons of red flags, right? It's just so funny because you see something even like the queer storylines and you're like, oh, that was like a real revolutionary mm-hmm. shit back then. And now we're like, oh, this is really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, like very crassly handled, but like we've come so far, guys. Yeah. And thinking about like 2002, 
uh, was the year that I graduated high school. And just thinking about how starved even then we were for representation mm-hmm. in film and movies. Like, we didn't get any films that came out in theaters, right? Like, all we got was satire films like <laughs> Joy Luck Club. And- satire films directed by, like, Italian dudes? <laughs> yeah. Joy Luck Club I was not into at all. Like, I know I was supposed to like it. And I appreciated seeing all the actors that I liked in it. I even liked... Andrew McCarthy, you know, but at the same time, man, what a sad film that was. Yeah, sad, I mean, sad time, just crying. Like this was the time. I guess we got like Rush Hour, and this is when Zanzi was like in like every other film yeah, yeah, for yeah. some reason. But <laughs> playing Japanese people, <laughs> yes. But in terms of like a rom com, like these days, like there are dime, not Diamond Dozen. They're still few and far, too, too few and far between. But having a rom com starring an Asian person uh, about playing. Uh, about playing soccer that is revolution that is as revolutionary as it's contemporary better luck tomorrow about asian kids being bad at school of being bad people in school right so i think it definitely is deserves its place in like the asian american or in the asian Mm -hmm. diaspora film canon and i'm glad i finally got to watch it so so now i filled that pop culture gap i will no longer i mean i will still feel shame for not watching it for 20 years but i will at least have watched it now. <laughs> you know what I'd love is if I could just, it's just a stupid idea, but like have a podcast where Justin Lin watch Bennett like Beckham and then Gurinder under try to watch better luck tomorrow. And they just talk to each other about it. That um, would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Someone should make that, not us. Cause that <laughs> seems very hard to get those two together. But. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Thank you for joining us as we take a look back at Bend It Like Beckham. Um, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at JessJewTweets. And I am at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yue. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. Check out our fellow Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, But until then, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Sharon. Hey, Remen. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Remen and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. 